the right idea at the right time. The miracles of logistics every day. I just challenged all of their rules. Technology is revolutionizing this industry. Changed our lives. Close your eyes for a second. New York, Hong Kong, Paris. We're more connected. You just never know where the next innovation will come from. Rules are beginning to change. This is Longitudes Radio, a podcast with today's leading experts about the future of technology, global trade, sustainability, and logistics. From Atlanta, I'm Brian Hughes. And I'm James Rowe. James, what if your money went away? Um, it, it actually does. I was going to say, this might, hit, this might hit a little too close to home. But the reason I ask is uh, the guest on today's podcast is a blast from the past. Yeah. It's Barry Silbert. He's the founder of Digital Currency Group. And we interviewed him about blockchain. Um, the reason I asked you that question about money is Barry imagines a future in which physical money disappears, um, kind of akin to all the things that used to get bartered back in the day, that no longer being our form of currency. So we take a look at the blurring of money and the applications that has for how you buy things. Yeah, it's an evolution, uh, as he describes. We were, we were trading rocks and furs at one point. We moved to cash, um, even precious metals. Yeah. And it looks like the future is kind of going down the lines of all digital. And then when I was a kid, I had pogs. I don't know if you remember <laughs> pogs. But anyway, I digress. Uh, Barry's going to break down blockchain. I know it's one of those topics that people feel like has become a buzzword. But Barry's going to explain the applications for the financial system, for global economy as a whole, and get at how things might really change in both the next few years and way down the line. Yeah. And there are a lot of obstacles in the way, so we're going to find out what those are. Let's get to it. Thanks for being here, Barry. Thanks for having me. You said something pretty provocative that kind of, I raised my eyebrows a, a little bit, where you said that you thought blockchain has the power to be, quote, bigger than the internet. What do you mean by that? When I think about the internet, um, it was uh, democratization um, of information and availability of, of information to people worldwide. What Bitcoin and blockchain has the potential to do is to democratize money and the movement of value around the world. And you know, historically, if you look at information, it was housed in, in books, textbooks, newspapers, and you certainly saw some disruption there. But if you think about money and the movement of money and the internet of value, um, and you think about all of the, the intermediaries and the friction uh, and the cost associated with storing your money and spending your money and sending your money, um, from, a, from an economic impact, I think it's significantly larger. Um, and then just from a societal perspective, you know, in a world where Many people don't have credit cards. Many people can't get bank accounts, can't get loans. They can't save for a home or college for their for their kids. Um, this enables that, and that that to me um, means the impact on society, both you know economic and otherwise, is going to be much larger than the internet. And we are seeing this blurring of the lines between so-called physical money and digital money. Obviously, we all have a bunch of friends who probably don't even carry money around in their wallets anymore. Do you envision a day in which 
physical money is kind of just this relic of a past where nobody really carries money at all and we don't see transactions in the physical space anymore? If you take a big step back and look at the history of money, money has taken lots of forms. It's been rocks. It's been wampum. It's been salt. It's been squirrel pelts. For a period of time, it was you know coins that were made of precious metals. Then it went to physical you know paper representation, which for a period of time was backed by you know gold, and that's no longer the case. So it's not a it's not crazy to think that society will will get comfortable with and embrace. Uh, a world where um, money is only represented in digital form. Um, in order for us to get there, I think it's 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 certainly going to take time, and I think there has to be a certain level of trust in the systems that we use uh, for holding and spending and sending our money. But without a doubt, at, at a certain point in time, there will no longer be paper money. Um, I don't know if that's ten years or a hundred years. I, I what's also interesting is there's a a, uh, a a macro um, trend as well, which is governments around the world are trying to figure out um, different ways to stimulate economies. And one of the ways is uh, that they do it is through the creation of money um, that essentially kind of gets sent out or lent out uh, through banks. In a world of digital money where people can't necessarily um, hold their money um, you know, at a you know in a safe. So if you get rid of physical cash, um, the idea is that the governments have is it'll be held at a bank, and then if that bank lowers the interest rate far enough, you're going to spend your money. Um, eventually, if that doesn't work, uh, there's an idea of helicopter money, which is essentially governments giving money away to all or a subset of citizens in order to to, to get them to spend it. Um, Japan has talked about it. Um, you know, people have said the U.S. may have to resort to it. So again, in, in that in that scenario, you have a just a further, you know, kind of catalyst that may drive the, the elimination of physical money, and that is the government may actually stop printing physical money. So, is it fair to say that your central mission, maybe blockchain, is a means to this end, is essentially to build a better financial system? Yeah, our stated mission um, is to accelerate the development of a better financial system. I don't know what that system looks like, but I know it's one that is uh, more distributed, more central, more decentralized, uh, more inclusive, um, and one that is built from scratch today. Because if you think about our existing financial system, I think most people don't appreciate that the banks that exist today, the big banks that everybody banks with, they were formed through the kind of the combination or mergers of lots of small banks over time, which creates issues around legacy technology systems, um, certainly creates issues around cross-selling of products, as we saw with Wells Fargo. As I think the opportunity exists for something like Bitcoin and blockchain to build a whole new system with a, a kind of a, we have a blank slate. And so if we're going to build a new bank today, you know, what does it look like? You know, how do you, how do you access it? Is it, you know, do you need branches? Probably not. And do you want to access, you know, investment products only from your bank or do you want to access products from lots of different places? Do you want to borrow money? And if so, do you want to borrow money from lots of places or just your bank? Um, and, and that's what's exciting to me. And that's, you know, why I think, you know, our mission you know, to accelerate the development um, is also important for societal purposes as well. So you're a self-described recovering investment banker. Those are your words. They're not mine. Have you ever stayed up late at night and wondered, gee, what if I'm wrong? As a entrepreneur, um, you get used to the idea of people telling you that can't work, 
Um, it's not going to work. You're crazy. Um, and that that to me is validating. I think if, you, if, if I ever was to pull the room um, and everybody put their hand up as a believer, everybody put their hand up as a Bitcoin owner, one, I would know my work is done, but I also would not find that interesting anymore. I go into this thinking that I'm going to be wrong about a lot of things. I'm going to make lots of mistakes. I'll hopefully kind of learn from those mistakes. But I, I do. There's there's certain things that I'm you know I'm I'm 100% convinced of. Uh, I'm 100% convinced that we're going to digital money. Uh, the timing is uncertain, but I know we're we're doing that. I'm 100% convinced that the existing financial system that exists today is broken, dysfunctional, um, and we need a better system. Um, and I and I and I'm 100% convinced that we're moving into a, a, a world and a society that is very much driven off of mobile devices and connectivity. And so, how do you how do you, you knowing all of that? You know, what is what are the companies that we can invest in? What are the businesses we can start that will help support that, help accelerate that, but also take advantage of that that world that I think we'll be living in. So how do we move from education to application and especially these companies who might be conservative by nature who you know almost have to see the writing on the wall before doing anything how do we get to that stage of the game where it almost seems you know universal or commonplace as opposed to this you know maybe a kind of different thing and maybe a little too far down the road I think every uh new technology um, needs you know what what I think people you know call a killer app killer application and I think for the internet um, people would point to the Netscape probably as kind of the killer app it's the thing that made people it opened people's eyes to the potential for the internet and you know with Bitcoin uh, you know a killer app may be this um, this this company Brave that I mentioned this new internet browser which is just faster than any browser out there and it's embedded this Bitcoin wallet which will create new ways for you to you know buy and own content um, or the killer app for Bitcoin may be uh, speculation it may be people buying Bitcoin at six hundred dollars today um, and the value going up and that creates um, a, an interest in them telling their friends, telling their coworkers, um, which drives more interest and engagement. You know, it's the network effects, which then drives um, more uh, awareness and interest from companies who then say, you know what, there's actually now, you know, today there's about 10 billion of Bitcoin in circulation. Well, you know, what happens when that number is 100 billion or 500 billion? All of a sudden, if you're a merchant, you have this entire category of consumers that have you know money that may be burning a hole in their pocket that they want to go spend. So you'll like you'll likely ex- start accepting Bitcoin at that point, um, and then the flywheel starts. So price goes up, value gets created, people have Bitcoin to spend. They want to spend it. Merchants start accepting it. As merchants start accepting it, they're not going to hold Bitcoin. They'll probably sell it. And so when they sell it, you have more trading, more volume, more velocity. Then all of a sudden, in all of these very important corridors like India and Mexico and throughout Africa and Southeast Asia, you have a lot of people trading in and out of Bitcoin. Well, as soon as that happens, you could then send um, not just $10,000 cross-border. You could send $30 million cross-border at 3 a.m. on a Saturday into India, and it will be instantaneously and it will be essentially free. Mm-hmm. And, and that all starts with Bitcoin's price going up. So some people – it's interesting. Some people don't distinguish between Bitcoin and blockchain, right? The blockchain being the technology behind virtual currency. Is that a problem? I mean is – you know, in some corners, uh, people are like blockchain is great, but don't use the word Bitcoin. 
is this a branding thing or why do you think there's such hesitancy to use one but not the other? Ultimately, whether you're in the camp that Bitcoin and blockchain can't be separated or you're in the camp that blockchain is great, Bitcoin is bad, or if you're in the camp that private blockchains, you know, ones that are not Bitcoin are, are kind of the right approach. I think none of those are bad scenarios because ultimately it, it, it just creates interest and awareness and people dedicate resources to trying to figure out how they can take advantage of the technology. You know, my view is over time, it will all move to these public decentralized protocols, whether it's Bitcoin or something else remains to be seen. I think it'll be Bitcoin, but it might be something else. Because ultimately, these walled gardens that are getting created right now, they're just going to replicate a lot of the problems, a lot of the friction that exists in the system today. Whereas real innovation is, it always happens outside of kind of the walls of the incumbents, but especially as it relates to kind of, you know, value and money and value and, uh, and, uh, and value transfer. Um, they're the ones that are being disrupted. And so you would expect that you're going to see um, uh, products and services being built on these open platforms, these permissionless platforms like Bitcoin. And to ultimately, I, I think they all just capitulate and they say, you know what, we've spent five years trying to build a, a five-bank you know, money transfer system that works um, faster and cheaper, but it's you know, incredibly expensive. It's very slow. There's a lot of security risk. Um, or we can just use a system that has you know, five years of you know, battle testing and, uh, and, a, and, a, and a global community of 100 million users. So kind of moving away from financial services altogether, uh, my wife and I, for example, we just had a baby. Congratulations. And, uh, thank you. Thank you. I'm, I'm trying to work in my little baby into <laughs> any bit of self-promotion that I can get. Uh, but anyway, so we, you know, we, uh, we go to the hospital. We go through the labor and delivery. We have to physically fill out the forms, you know, go through Social Security card, hope that we spell my daughter's name right so that when it shows up, you know, and it's weeks later. And it's this really weird <coughs> archaic thing where you wonder, wow, why does why do we have to jump through all these hoops just to get this card to say, this is my daughter? It's silly, et cetera. right? And that's why I kind of perked up when you talked about what blockchain can mean for identity and verification. Can you kind of talk about, about that and how this idea of a paper social security card might not be an actual thing in the future? Social security card, birth certificates, uh, you know, driver's license, all of these things, all of these documents that are given to you by the government, um, they they exist in a database already somewhere, yet that database is not accessible by you or by anybody else. So I, I get excited about the idea of having all of my information, birth date, address, social security number, um, you know, uh, preferences, whatever the case may be, in some type of immutable distributed ledger where I control the keys and I can provide access to that database to whomever I want and they don't get to keep that information. So, for example, you know, if it's, if it's somebody who wants to verify um, that I'm of a certain age, well, they ping the database. They don't find out what my age is. They don't find out what my birthday is, but they find out that I'm I'm of a certain age, and and you know, so the government um, could do it. Um, they're already they have this database, but they've I'm sure they've used um, an incredibly antiquated technology. I'm sure there's well, I'm sure there's multiple databases. There's probably you know that's part of, part of part of the issue, and and so imagine um, you know your fingerprint um, opening up your 
your your document file um, where you can access all those pieces of paper that everybody stores, you know, in their in their file cabinet or, or their safe. And then more importantly, you know, what you can use that information for. Um, so when you, you know, check in at an airport, um, you, you know, put your thumbprint down and you don't have to show your ID. You don't have to show your or if heaven heaven forbid you lose your passport, you're not stranded <laughs> right. trying to figure out how you're going to get out of a given country. Exactly. I, I don't say that from uh, experience at all. <laughs> uh, so, uh, what what do you think some of the bigger misconceptions are just around this whole idea of whether it's virtual currency or a digital ledger? What questions need to be answered? Right now, to to kind of realize this vision that that you see, number one, uh, money is already digital. When you deposit money at Citibank, they are not keeping in a vault somewhere your thousand dollars. There is no physical representation of that money. So you already your money is already digital. Number one, um, two, the uh, these new digital currencies uh, like Bitcoin don't promote crime. They don't support crime. In fact, I talked about a little earlier this morning, um, it's actually much more traceable than physical cash. And and so the idea that, you know, Bitcoin is used by terrorists and and you know money launderers and drug dealers is is by and large factually incorrect. Uh, I'm not suggesting that it has not been used that way, but as a as a large percentage of transactional volume, um, it's it's insignificant. Well, well, playing that scenario out too, if if everyone in theory is on this ledger and it's completely transparent, wouldn't it be the nefarious actors or the people who are interested in their trans- transactions not being seen? actually straying away from this type of system and being the ones almost clinging to physical money because it's harder to track. You would you would expect that they're going to use physical money or other other non-traceable um, forms of of money. And there's a lot of those out there. And so until, until all those go away, um, I, I, I just don't see a world where any criminal is going to want to publish to a open, transparent, immutable ledger um, their transactions. Because all it really takes is is you know is somebody uncovering you know one of those footprints and connecting it to that criminal, and their entire transactional history is then observable. What excites you that you've seen recently in this space? I mean, the, uh, you're tracking this better than anyone else. So or, I have to pick a the, I have yeah. to pick a favorite child out of yeah. my yeah, 85. Yeah. I mean, what 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 gets you excited? What even makes you go, wow, that's pretty impressive. What gets me excited right now is finally, finally seeing small businesses and some very large companies uh, experimenting around using Bitcoin as a rail to move money cross-border. And I think there's a couple of reasons why that's not happened until now. Number one, I think uh, you know up until recently, arguably still still the case, you know, Bitcoin has been kind of a bad word. Um, and so, you know, from the C-suite down, there just wasn't kind of you know support to kind of experiment. And I think that that's changed. And I think that's going to change very quickly as as it becomes more well known that more companies are doing it. Um, but the other thing that had to happen, um, and this is recent, is you had to have in the corridors that people want to send and receive money, you had to have on either end of that corridor a liquid enough market of Bitcoin in and out of the local fiat currency for the for the efficiency for the cost savings to 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 be enough to. Um, compete with the existing system. So, for example, 
if I'm going to send uh, money to um, London um, and I'm going to send a thousand dollars and my bank charges me a thirty dollar wire fee, well, I'm not going to use an alternative unless either I save the thirty dollars um, and or if it happens a lot faster. And now there's one of our companies called Circle um, now enables you to move money um, to and from London for free. Uh, or UK for free, uh, and 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 that was only made possible because you have enough liquidity in Bitcoin dollar and Bitcoin and pounds um, to allow for that transfer. And now on the on the small business side, and in, the, in some cases larger business side, markets I talked about earlier today: Nigeria, uh, India, Mexico, Indonesia, places where it, you know it's it's it may be thirty dollars to send that wire, but you're also losing three percent on the exchange fee, which you don't even see, frankly, that um, the the Bitcoin as a rail um, is now certainly faster and it is also cheaper. And that's exciting to me because that just that just accelerates. Um, you know, the, the customers that are doing it right now, they're doing it in small amounts to test it. So as they get more comfortable, they do more of it. Um, and as other people hear about it, they'll do it. And then it's just this flywheel. You know, you just have more and more volume in the local markets. And, th- and the people who are buying Bitcoin in those local markets, oftentimes they're doing it because they want to own Bitcoin because it's a better form of money. Well, as you see more flows coming in, um, it will likely result in more demands for Bitcoin locally, which will likely result in a higher price. And as the price goes up, more people want to own it locally, which will drive more interest to people send, for people to send money in. So, so let me ask you this kind of in closing. I think it might uh, be fitting how you started this morning with a poll of the room to see what their perception was of this technology. Ten years from now, are you still working to try to win the room? Do you think we're at a place where you're still having to be uh, evangelist, for lack of a better word? I think in 10 years, um, my, it'll be more about predicting what the next 10 years look, look like. And I think within the next 10 years, I think the um, there will be general acceptance that um, this technology um, is works. And there will be acceptance that the companies that have built products and services um, are trustworthy and 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 I think you know I, I, if you kind of equate it to early internet days, you know it's the difference between let's say we're in 1993 to kind of 2003. Well, you know in 93, you know you had you know Netscape and 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 a few others in 2003. Um, that's probably around the time that Google um, was was launched and uh, and you know you didn't, you didn't have Uber yet, and so hopefully. I'll be predicting the next the next Uber. Awesome. Well, Barry, thanks so much. This is great. Great chat. Appreciate it. Appreciate it.